Well, first of all, I love what you've done with the place. Uh, it is great, uh, great to be here. I know that I've, um, I've been around Sojourn for five and a half years. We've been talking about this for a long time. It's really exciting to see uh, what you guys have done. And uh, I was nervous when Lyle originally asked me to come preach because I knew you were in the middle of the project and I saw what you did to Zach. Uh, and uh, I don't have that many shirts. And so um, I was excited that, that the building was done. Um, we are in the middle of a series uh, in the book of James called Faith That Works, uh, and we took a small hiatus last week, but really talking about the same, same basic uh, subjects of James, uh, and the idea is that uh, faith that works, that, that lives that are transformed um, by the, the life and work of Jesus Christ, that they are not just going to be uh, something that we we say it's going to be something that we do, that, that our lives would actually reflect the truth of who God is, what, what Christ has done for us. And so that's kind of the gist and the thrust of the whole James series. And uh, today um, we're, going to, we're going to talk about uh, how that truth relates specifically to your mouth, what comes out of your mouth. Okay, so what we saw a little earlier was, was really cute and had, we had great, great feelings that came out there, this text might, might have a different emotional response. Um, this text might, this, this might take us a little bit more to, to kind of some self-reflection and like, some of this is going to hurt. It just does. Um, and so remember those good feelings as we dive in. And we shouldn't be surprised that we're going to hit this in James because in chapter one, uh, he gives us a little foreshadow that he wants to address the mouth, what's going on with the mouth. And, and he says that... Um, in, in chapter 1, verse 26, he says, If anyone thinks that he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. All right? So we've already gone from the good feelings to the, uh-oh, he might be talking about me. Um, and so he's actually going to elaborate that in chapter 3. And, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to work through that today. We're going to talk about what are the temptations of this tongue. If you're one of those people that likes to take notes, we're going to talk about the temptations of the tongue, and then we're going to take three takeaways from this chapter um, as we leave here. Um, to get there, though, I want to I give a little illustrative story. That's what preachers are supposed to do. Um, and I brought a prop. Hard to see. Anyone see what that is? Smoke bomb, right. Yeah, well, they used to be called smoke bombs. You can't say that anymore. Uh, these are, this is a smoke ball. Uh, they call them smoke balls now. Uh, I found that out yesterday when I went to buy them. Um, but that kind of helps make the point. Um, when, I was a, when I was a kid, you know, it's 4th of July is coming up. Um, we used to collect, I lived in Michigan, you get 10 cents for a can. Uh, and uh, we used to collect cans, and we'd go to the, the gas station, and we'd turn those in for soda and candy and, and fireworks. Um, and so not only could you buy these little uh, smoke balls, um, but you could also, you could buy other things. Like you could buy firecrackers uh, back then. Anyone old enough that you could buy firecrackers at the gas station? Okay, some of you. Um, and you could buy those uh, jumping jack things that you light them and they spin up. And you could buy those, uh, they, they call them snakes, and you light them and these carcinogens would come out and you would like, <laughs> it would like form into a little charred snake, Right. So you used to be able to buy those things, but you can't anymore. You can't buy the jumping jacks and you can't buy the firecrackers, um, but you can buy these. Why is that the case? Because these are just smoke balls now. These, are not, these aren't dangerous, but firecrackers are, right? 
I got four kids. I don't want my kids losing fingers, right? So, so they, they deemed these are not dangerous, but, but uh, the firecrackers were. So these are pretty innocuous. They just make a really nasty smell. Um, a few weeks ago, there was, there was an article in the paper that I read, and, uh, and it had to do with one of these. There was a, there was a group of, of um, teenagers. Uh, I think we call that a gaggle. Is it a gaggle of teenagers? Um, they sound like geese. They make weird noises. And, um, so if you have more than four teenagers, it's technically a gaggle. Um, so there's a gaggle of teenagers. They're, they're out in Oregon, and they, they, go on a, they go out on a hike together. And I don't know how many there were, but there were more than four. There's probably a dozen teenagers. And w- when you're a teenager um, and you're together with your peers and there aren't a lot of adults around, you kind of know how that goes, right? If you're a little louder than you normally would be, you might do some things that are silly and funny and you think you're the first person ever to think of talking loud in a restaurant um, and you all giggle and uh, we all roll our eyes because we were there and we thought we were new and unique when we did that. Um, and so uh, you can imagine when this gets rolling through the forest, uh, that's pr- most people probably scatter. Not only do the animals scatter, but if you went for a nice peaceful hike, you probably scattered too. Um, but this gaggle of teenagers, they're out and, um, and they're doing what teenagers do, try to impress one another. Um, and there was a particular teenager, he was 15 years old. He was probably trying to impress a girl um, in some way. And uh, he brought some of these out. And they're out in the wilderness, um, uh, on this hike, and, uh, and he decides to light one of these and throw it into the canyon. And, uh, you know, all of the thought processes that go um, with doing something like that, well, people are going to see the smoke rise, and they're going to think that there's a forest fire, and they're going to freak out, but when they get there, they're just going to find this little smoke bomb, and ha, 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 it's pretty funny. Um, uh, you can probably see where the story's going. Um, these little guys get pretty hot. Um, and when you light them, they do actually start with a little bit of a flame before they go to smoke, and when he threw it into the canyon, it found some kindling, and while they were laughing and leaving, uh, it, uh, it ignited 45,000 acres of Oregon wilderness on fire. Um, and why that's pertinent to us today is because, I mean, he bought, how much do you think this costs? Any guesses? You can get eight of them for two bucks, that's 25 cents. It's my engineering degree, working... Uh, working for me as a pastor, um, 25 cents. Uh, the government just levied a, a judgment against a 15-year-old boy for $35 million. It took $22 million to fight the fire, the cost of the destruction, homes, and everything else. They, there's a 50, 15-year-old boy in Oregon right now, a, for all accounts, God-loving youth uh, uh, church youth camp kid who owes the government $35 million. Ouch, that's right. When he bought this for 25 cents, he had no idea that within it contained the possibility of $35 million, right? He had no idea what it could do to that park, what it could do to that acreage. He had no idea what it could do to the people that had to fight that fire, people who lived in that area that had to evacuate their homes, and he certainly had no idea what throwing this into a canyon could do to his own life. He will never make a dollar that doesn't have to go towards the debt that he owes. And what we're going to hear today, I know that's heavy, 
what we're going to hear today is, is that James is going to bring out for us in this text this idea that our tongue is like this little, little smoke ball. Um, it doesn't seem like much. It's very small. We don't think it can cause much damage, but it's actually very dangerous. So if you have a minute uh, and you could stand, you don't have to, but if you can, stand for the reading of the Word. We're going to be in James 3, verses 1 through 12. He says this, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to control the whole body. Now if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by a fierce wind, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts of great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body. It sets the course of a life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you even for these hard passages that, that drive us to do some self-reflection. We pray that your spirit would be with us today, that you would, you would guide my words, Father. You would guide our ears and our hearts, that we would learn and be closer to you through this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so those are some hard words. <laughs> um, um, there, there is a... Um, there is a heaviness to this text, and so like I said, we're going we're gonna to jump in. First, I want to talk about how, how uh, the heart is a barometer for the soul, and then we're going to talk about those temptations of the tongue, and then we're going to talk about what we can take away. What is our hope, uh, our hope um, in light of this teaching? And, and the first thing is this idea of the tongue being a barometer, and I think that's what, uh, what James is getting at here. He starts with this warning about, about becoming uh, teachers. He says, he says, not many of you should become teachers. Um, or in, another way to translate that is that not many of you should presume to be teachers. Uh, and so apparently what's going on here, this is a, a little bit of speculation, but not too far, is that, um, is that you've got the church that's being birthed, right, coming uh, out of kind of the Jewish synagogue system in which you really had to, you really had to, learn and grow to become a teacher. And now what we're saying is, hey, it's a priesthood of believers. We don't need, uh, we don't need the Levitical priesthood uh, to, to teach us. We can, we can engage with the Word of God and we can grow. And now you've got a bunch of people who, who kind of want the microphone, if you will. And he's saying, hold up, hold up. Um, not many of you should presume to be teachers. And I think that's actually really uh, relevant 
um, for our age right now. I think it's relevant for our time. Uh, maybe, I can, maybe I can illustrate this. How many of you right now, as you hear me talk about this, you, hear, you think, um, I have something to say. I have something that people should hear. People should understand my views and my opinions on that. I should be a teacher. How many of you feel like that's you? Okay, so we got a handful. We've got about six. All right. Um, I'm going to ask the same question, just in a little bit different way. How many of you have some form of social media account? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Which ones am I missing, kids? Right? Okay, so we didn't think we really wanted to be teachers, and yet actually we all are kind of projecting our views. Um, we're espousing our opinions. Um, we are commenting on other people's views. Like we're actually, there's a lot of presumption of, of teaching going on, is there not? We live in a time and a culture when that's, I mean, that's super easy. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to sit under a, a rabbi. You, you just, you know, make up a new account name and, uh, you know, or a fake account name as uh, some of you might, what, what do they call that when you're, your fake Twitter account? Um, but we, we, can just, we can just create an audience. Um, super simple. And, uh, and what he says is, be careful with your tongue. And maybe for us, it's, it's tame your fingers, not just your tongue, tame your fingers. He's saying, be careful what you say, because when you're out there and you're starting to, you're starting to try to speak with authority, you're going to be held to a higher account. There's stricter judgment, right? So, like, obviously, I'm presuming to be a teacher. I'm up here teaching you. This is a very um, important warning for me, right? Be careful with what you say. Uh, um, um, carry the weight of the pulpit when you're preaching, but that, that, that also extends to our life and the way that we interact with other people. It's not just for me, it's for all of us. And he says, why? One, because there's going to be stricter judgment. Two, because you're going to mess up. We all stumble. He's including himself, and James is including himself. He's saying, he's saying I, I may be teaching you, but I know that I'm also going to make mistakes. And so, so this is a weight. When you use your tongue, there's a weight to it. I mean, how many would love that job? Hey, okay, here's the job opportunity. First thing you got to know is that you are going to be held accountable for everything that you do. The second thing is you're absolutely going to make mistakes. Anyone, anyone want that job? Right? Anybody have that job? Like, yeah, there's some people out there, you're like, yeah, that's my job. It's like, it's like I, I am set up to fail. There's nothing I can do to win. Where he's saying, look, you just need to know when you step into this position, even if it doesn't mean a pulpit, it's just in this position of being able to teach, you're, you're, you're taking on that kind of role. And he says, look, there, there's, there's this, this um, um, inevitability of those mistakes, and we can kind of look at that. Jesus talks about how um, out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks, right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, and so we know we're going to make those mistakes. We know that that's going to happen. And then he sets up this hypothetical. He says, but if you could, if you could control your tongue, then you could control all of your life. If there, other translation, it says mature uh, in our translation. It could also be translated the perfect man. If you could control your mouth, you would be perfect. And in the context of James where he's saying life that works, a life um, that reflects in deed and action the truth of what Christ has done in our lives, if we could get a hold of our mouth, we could get a hold of those deeds. Does that make sense? He's saying that this is such a barometer, this is such a window into your soul, if your mouth is under your control, your life will be under control. 
Okay, that's what he's saying. And it's a, it, it is a hypothetical. He's saying if that could be the case. And that's what those, those two examples of the horse and the, and the, and the, um, and the ship, the, the bit in a horse's mouth or, or the rudder that drives a ship, he's saying if you could control just that small piece, you could control it all. And, you know, we're, we're in Kentucky. We're horse country. We understand he, a large, strong, magnif- magnificent animal can just be controlled by, by having a bit in their mouth. And a ship, as big as it is, if you know anything about boats, you don't need much of a rudder to be able to control and steer the direction of the ship. He's saying if you could be fully mature, if you could be the perfect man or woman, you could, you could control the whole thing. Um, and I, at this point, th- this is just a neutral observation that he's making. He's like, this is just the, the way it is. There's nothing negative about this. I first, when I read that, I was like, is that true? Does my mouth really have that much control over my actions? What do you guys think? Does it have that, like, what you say, does it really affect what you do? As I thought about this, I was realizing, like, you know, there are things that we all have that we think, but we probably never say out loud. Is that you? There are any times that you're thinking things, you're like, man, I hope no one could read my thoughts because I'm thinking things. I would never say that out loud. I would never actually say that. Anybody there? Anybody ever do that? You, hopefully you repent of that and you, and you uh, take captive those thoughts. But if you don't take captive those thoughts and you continue to think those things, it is most likely that you will eventually, just like that gaggle of kids, you will start to test it. You know, I've been thinking this thing for a long time. I'm just going to say it out loud and see what happens. Does anyone agree with me? And what happens, sometimes you find people that agree. You're like, gosh, I never would have said that. You're so brave for saying that. That's so, that's so um, forward thinking of you. I believe the same thing. And then things that we used to, we wouldn't say, now we're willing to say them. And if we say them for long enough, we might still say, we, we'll say things that we won't do, right? Like, well, if my boss taught me, like, said, uh, did that to me, I would walk into his office right now and I'd hand him my, you know, we talk about things we wouldn't actually do. Anybody do that? You say things, you, you, you talk big with your friends, and then like in reality you'd never do it. But if you say it enough, then you, that starts to become more normalized. And eventually you may actually do that. Do you see the cycle? What I say eventually can lead to what I do. Rhetoric has a huge impact on what we do as individuals and even as a society. If you don't believe me, just take a look at what's going on in our, our country right now. Or what's gone on in our country in the past. Some of the worst things that Christians have been involved in have started by thinking something and then beginning to talk about it. And then we talk about it and we get this kind of uh, a group sense that it's okay. And then we do things that, that are completely um, opposed to Scripture, right? Like, how, do you, how does a country founded on Christian principles end up with legalized abortion? How does a country based on Christian principles end up with slavery? Um, how do we have right now a debate? And I don't want to get into I'm a guest, so you know, I can walk out of here and I'll be okay. Um, but uh, I mean, right now, the political debate, I don't care what you think about policy. Certainly we can care about immigrant families, can't we? Can't we care about people and children? How do you get to a place where you're like, you know, but that's the law. You get there by starting rhetoric that says certain people are not fully human. 
Certain people are less than we are. A quote last week was, well, they're not our children. They're not American children. Well, when did that ever matter to you as a Christian? When did it matter what nation you came from before we had compassion on children? Aren't children children? Aren't people people? Aren't they image bearers of God? Isn't that what he just said? That we would speak ill of image bearers of God with our mouth one moment and then try to praise Jesus with the other? You can't do that. You can't destroy the, the, the image of God in someone and then praise the Lord. I know, these are hard messages. This is a hard word. It's the right word at the right time, I believe, for us as a, as a nation. So, what we think, we eventually say. What we say, we eventually do. He transitions at this point to the danger of the tongue. So he's making a neutral observation. This is what... This is just the reality, but the tongue is dangerous. The tongue is a fire, he says. It's set on fire by hell. So um, if you're here today and you're wondering, do we believe in a real enemy of God? Yes, we do. We believe in a real enemy of God. There is an enemy that hates God, and he hates you. He hates you if you're a Christian. He hates you if you're not a Christian. He, he does not want good for you, and he certainly doesn't want good for God. And so he is completely content. The enemy of God is completely content for your tongue to do his work for your tongue to move his agenda. And his agenda is to diminish the, the um, identity, in, identity in Christ of believers, the image-bearer status of human beings. He wants that diminished, right? He, doesn't, he wants you to be less than you are. And so as long as your tongue is willing to do his agenda, he's happy. As long as, as, long as you, you will use your tongue to perpetuate the hypocrisy of Christianity, the enemy is happy. That's why he tempts the tongue. He tempts us to use our tongue to start fires and to set whole lives on fire. It's a reality. And so what he's saying here is like that their tongue is a fire and it is set on fire by hell. We need to take that warning. And so when I was preparing... Uh, to speak today and just trying to look at the tongue and trying to understand, okay, what is, like, it's in us. What can we do? That's just, like, like, how do you understand the temptations of the tongue? I spent some time in Proverbs um, in relation to this text. And uh, in Proverbs, if you know, it's a book of wisdom. It's a book of sayings of wisdom to help us um, grow in wisdom. And it tends to contrast uh, the wise and the fool and the righteous and the wicked. So it has these two Two, character, or, or two um, uh, categories, the fool and the wicked, when it comes to the misuse of the tongue. There are 110 verses, 100, or 110 sayings um, on this in Proverbs. And so, um, in relationship to what James is saying, I think there are three temptations of the tongue that are really important for us to identify as we try to understand what he's telling us. Um, the first temptation is is to ignore the power of it. To think that our tongue... I lost my smoke ball. I don't know where it went. There it is. This is the first temptation. The first temptation is to believe that the tongue really doesn't matter. What we say has no impact. Right? If you remember the movie The Usual Suspects, um, please don't go look at that movie and then remind me of how inappropriate it is. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, but... Um, there's a saying uh, that the, the, lead, the lead character, he's an 
antagonist, protagonist, hard to tell um, in the way that the movie's done. That's what makes it so interesting. But what he says is he says the greatest trick that the devil ever played was convincing people that he didn't exist. It's a really powerful statement, especially in our world. We want to believe he doesn't exist. And in context of the tongue, we want to believe that the tongue really has no power. That's, that, that's what the enemy wants you to believe. The devil wants you to believe that your tongue has, has what you say doesn't matter, right? Pastor Lyle last week, uh, as he was talking about fathers and sons, he talked about the, the nursery rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? Um, the tongue really doesn't have any effect. It makes no difference what people say, but we know that to be patently false. Uh, we can heal from sticks and stones. Um, sometimes the things that are said to us or said about us, sometimes they don't heal for decades, maybe longer. It's not just the words that are said about you or the words that are said to you. Sometimes it's the words that you speak about yourself. You hear it enough that you begin to start saying the things that you may have never said. And now the words that you speak about yourself can also have this huge, tremendous effect on the rest of your life. You guys know what I'm talking about? Things that you would never say out loud, but you say in your mind all the time. You think, well, it doesn't really matter. I know that I sometimes have negative self-talk, but it doesn't really matter. That's, that's the first temptation. The idea that these words don't really make a difference, but, but we know, I think Pastor Lyle mentioned it, um, our, our recovery groups and our counseling offices um, and uh, you, you know, just the, the destruction, they're just filled with people that were, um, they were damaged by words sometimes a long time ago. Ignoring the reality of the power of the tongue is to be, as Proverbs would say, a fool. To wield it flippantly, to think I can say whatever I say or whatever I want to say doesn't matter, right? I deal with this with my kids sometimes. It's like, it's like oh, it's just, I'm, just, I'm just playing around. It's like, yeah, but you're saying words that are going to have an impact on your brother or your sister. Um, they matter. You're, you're their brother. They care about what you say. Don't be flippant with your tongue. That's that first temptation. The second temptation, if the first temptation is, is to ignore its power, the second temptation um, is to wield it. The temptation to wield the tongue. And, and sometimes we think, ah, the tongue's not that big of a deal. But some of us know the power of the tongue, right? Sometimes you, uh, you absolutely know the power of the tongue. So in, um, we're, I'm going to leave most of the rest of James uh, for Ty next week, but if you look in uh, verse 16 there, it says, um, it says, for where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. So he's talking about the tongue, and he's saying when we're selfish, um, when there's envy, we'll use the tongue as a weapon. We will practice the use of wielding the tongue. Proverbs 11.9 says, um, with the mouth, the ungodly destroy their neighbor. The ungodly, the wicked, know that what they're doing is hurting someone with their tongue. And sometimes we do this. Sometimes you do this. Sometimes I do this. We know what we're doing. We're not ignorant of the power of the tongue. And we learn this at an early age. I mean, uh, i got four kids. My youngest is... Um, uh, six and my oldest is 13, um, I've seen this play over and over, this cycle, right? Where when they're really young, I don't know how old that is, maybe three, um, their sibling says something to them that's hurtful 
and they're just astounded. Like, why would you say that? They don't have the words for it, so they just cry, and they're just crushed, and they're hurt, right? Have you seen this? How long, do they, how long does that happen? Not very long, because they learn really quickly, I can attack back. I can use words to hurt you. You're going to hurt me. I can hurt you. There's a, there, there's a, a short season of that hurts, and then there becomes a longer, longer season. That one's harder to get out of, of. They learn that they can use their words to attack. My six-year-old is very small. My 13-year-old is much bigger. He has very little chance in any other arena, right? He's not going to be able to hurt his brother physically. He can't hurt him financially. There's not much he can really do, but he can hurt him with words. You learn that really early, and as adults, we keep doing those things. Trying to stay away from the political world, but if you look right now, I can't. You know, we got to start fires. The tongue is restless evil, right? Um, I mean, we have heads of state that are throwing insults at each other publicly on social media right now, right? Have you seen this? Like, insulting each other in personal ways. Not just about your policy. Like, they're insulting each other on, like, how tall they are and how much they weigh, right? Like, it's very juvenile. But it's also, it makes a ton of sense. Because when you are in a position where there's nothing you can do, I can't affect you in any other way, I can still hurt you with words. I've actually found that people that are in the highest positions of power tend to be the most sensitive to words, you can still hurt them with what you say, and you can see them react um, because they're reacting out of that same pain, that the, the, the effect of words. It, it's a great equalizer. And that's actually really dangerous if you're willing to succumb to that temptation to use those words. If you look, on the, if you, if you look at how we interact with one another um, in things like social media and what we say about each other when we think we're anonymous and, and, and the way that we, you know, I'm losing the argument, so I'm just going to attack your character or attack your being. We do these things, right? It ought not be that way. That's what he says. Um, Charles Spurgeon, uh, he uh, it was a preacher. He's dead now, so I can use his stuff. Um, he used to talk about this idea of, uh, so you've got this temptation. The temptation is to wield it. Um, he talked about this, this other idea, and this other idea is, is, the, is the temptation to manage it. The temptation to manage our tongue or manage our sin. So if we have this temptation, one temptation is to ignore it, the other temptation is to wield it. There's like this middle ground that most of us, I think, fit in, and this is the one that gets me the most, uh, it makes me the most uncomfortable preaching because it hits so close to home, is this idea of managing the tongue. He talked about managing sin. So he had this example that he would use is like, trying to manage sin in your life is like lighting a small fire inside your house and then trying to control it with your tongue. So I light the fire, and as it starts to grow, I just say, hold up, stop. That's, that was his example of managing sin in your life. And if you've ever watched those YouTube videos where like, sometimes they show like, how quickly a fire that starts in a house, how quickly it envelops the entire home, you have precious little time. If, you, if a fire starts in your house, you are, there's nothing you can do. It is, if you don't put it out right away, if you let it grow at all, it will get out of control. It will destroy the house. That was his point. And when we try to manage sin, especially the sin of the tongue, we're falling into that category of foolish and wicked. We're w- wicked in that we're trying to use it, foolish in that we can just, we, can man- we know it's sin, but we'll manage it, right? Um, 
Brene Brown is an, is an author. Um, she does a lot of stuff on relationships. Um, and, uh, and she talks about this practice that, that is it's really close to home for me. And she talked about, you know, culturally, um, we, we desire intimate relationships. We desire to be close to one another. Um, but that takes time. It takes work. It takes effort. Uh, and one of the ways that we try to short-circuit um, that time, and she calls hot-wiring intimacy. Um, what we do is, is we, try to, um, we try to share things that are not ours to share uh, because the thought process is, I would only share this with someone who I'm very intimately close with, um, and that will hot-wire our relationship. It'll instantly make us close. And those hot wires, that's usually not things about me, that's things about someone else, a third party, someone we know, right? Um, and so uh, it's gossip, right? So it's, we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about someone uh, who's not in the room in order to hotwire our relationship. Anyone ever been there? Anyone ever do that? I wasn't going to make you raise your hands. This was just incidental, but no, it worked, right? Um, I mean, this is brutal, and this happens all the time. Like, I know, like, as a pastor, there are times I get together with other pastors, and I'm like, oh, that guy's kind of a big deal. I'd like to be friends with him, and let's tell some stories, you know, some more stories. And, and it's wicked. It's not good. It's not right. Um, and it doesn't work. Because if you're in that practice, if you're used to that practice uh, where you're talking about somebody else with someone new, the thought that should occur to them is, if that's how you talk about that person when they're not around, that's probably how you talk about me when you're not around. So the attempt was to hotwire and, 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 and create intimacy, and actually what it does is it creates a barrier between uh, those two people. That, that relationship is never going to be, um, be close because there's no truth in it. The idea of truth and integrity, that's gone. And so this idea of trying to of trying to manage this temptation to try to manage, um, manage the tongue and the sin. That's what he's getting at in verses 7 through 12. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one has tamed the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. If you go down, it's blessing and cursing from the same mouth. This should not be the way it is. What he's saying is that you should not be driving here to church talking bad about your friend and then come into the, this room and shake hands and smile and praise Jesus. We shouldn't be tearing apart our boss with our tongue and then think that we're going to also then turn right around and pray to God and ask for His wisdom and help. He's saying that's not the way it should be. You can't, as he uses the example, you can't have fresh water and salt water coming out of the same tap. It's one or the other. This is, this is not the way it should be. There's something wrong. He's like, don't be going around telling everybody you're a grapevine if all you produce is figs. If all that comes out of your mouth is figs, you're a fig tree, right? You can't produce both, is what he's saying. He's saying there's something inherently wrong with this idea. Um, if what is in you, this is the idea he's using with the, with the pond, if what is in you is salty, nasty, stagnant water, that's what's going to come out of you. That's what's going to be coming out of your mouth. 
And that's not the way it's supposed to be. If you're here today and you've given your life to Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, it should not be that way. There's a little hope in that statement. The hope in that statement is maybe there is a way that is right, a way that is good, a way that glorifies God. But this is not that way. And it does feel hopeless. Because what he's saying is like, it's restless. The tongue is going to do what it's going to do. The tongue is going to continue to set fires. Um, It's a restless evil. There doesn't seem to be a ton of hope in that. He gave us one hypothetical. He said, if you could control it, if you were were mature, if you were the perfect man, woman, if, if you were that, you could control not only your tongue, you could control your whole body. If you're sitting here today like I was reading this text, and you're like, how in the world? I am this. I do this stuff. What is my hope? It is the grace of God that we are not perfect. You are not perfect. You have no hope, right? If you're here today and you're like, I have completely tamed my tongue, then I would say, well, the first thing we know is that you're lying um, if you're lying, then you haven't contained your tongue. You are now in the, in the room with the rest of us, right? We're all together. But there is one who did. There is one who did. That's our hope. Our hope is in the grace of Christ that Jesus, who came and lived the life we should have lived, He faced all of these temptations. He was spoken of horribly by people in His day. God Himself came in the flesh And he was taunted and tempted and spoken ill of. And he did not raise his voice. He did not not, um, return fire for fire. Right? You know, we had, I was in uh, my basketball days, we had this saying, don't let your mouth write a check that your butt can't cash. Anyone ever remember that saying? Is that only me? Well, my mouth has written a lot of checks. Your mouth has written a lot of checks. And our only hope is that Jesus came and He paid that debt. We never could have paid that debt, but Jesus did. And so when He says, if you are a perfect man, that's our hope. Our hope is that there was a perfect man. That perfect man was Jesus. And not only did He pay for that debt, He's also said that He sent His Spirit, that His Spirit now dwells within us. And I want you to follow this, that we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us so that we can fill that pond. You know that pond that's full of nasty, salty, stagnant water? Well, if we can fill that pond with fresh water, then we have some hope on what comes out of our mouth. And that's, part of, that, that, that's the takeaway that I want, us to, I want us to talk about today. Three takeaways. First takeaway is knowing that, having that in mind, the first takeaway is to watch your mouth. Anyone ever been told to watch your mouth? <laughs> Um, when I was told to watch your mouth as a kid, that meant that I had, uh, I had foolishly allowed my grandmother or my mother to hear me say a word I shouldn't have said, right? And she would say, watch your mouth. And what did she mean? She meant, don't ever let me hear you say that again. That's what, I've also got that one too, but that's what watch your mouth meant. Um, what I mean by watch your mouth is not, not the same thing. What I mean by watch your mouth is, I mean... Watch what's coming out of your mouth. What he's saying here is that you actually have very little control of what comes out of your mouth. He's saying that it, it does its thing. It steers the ship. It steers the horse. There's not much you can do. What you can do is you can be self-aware about what you're saying. You can pay attention to what's coming out of your mouth. Because it's a 
barometer of your soul, right? It is a, uh, it is a window into the health of your soul. So watch your mouth. Don't try, to, don't try to change it at the spigot. Like once it's out here, there's not much you can do. Um, you can apologize, but that's about it. Like you're not going to do a lot of good work there, but watch it. And when I say watch it, I mean ask other people how they perceive your mouth, right? Ask your spouse. Ask your children. Ask your friends. How do you perceive me? Am I someone who edifies Um, Do you feel like I speak life into you? Am I always cynical? Am I always sarcastic? Am I always critical of other people? Um, When I speak, what, like, like, do you hear fool? Do you hear wicked? Do you hear righteous and, and holy? What do you hear coming out of my mouth? And I say that because he pretty much makes it clear there's not much you can do once it's out, out of your mouth. But what he does say, it does seem that, that we can do something about this. We can, we can work on what we put into our soul. So watch your mouth as a way to observe and understand what's going on in your soul. But what you actually can do to change the way that you speak is to mind your soul. That's the second, that's the second takeaway. So watch your mouth. Be observant. What's coming out? Mind your soul. What are you feeding your soul, what are you putting into the pond? What are you filling your time with? What are you meditating on? What are you thinking about day in and day out? What are you arguing about? Um, what is going into your pond? The psalmist, the first psalm, psalm number one, I want you to hear this. He says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Anybody want to be happy? Anyone have a life of joy? He says, don't walk in the advice. What? Advice. Sinners. Mockers. If you think about that, you're walking with someone. When you're standing, you're contemplating. When you're sitting, you're sitting under the teaching of sinners, mockers. Advice of the wicked. All of those are sins of the mouth. He's saying, the the, the psalmist, the one who is happy, is someone who does not fill themselves with this wickedness, with this foolish wickedness. Look at who you're surrounding yourself with. Look at what you're saying and what other people are saying. What are you filling your soul with? This is what he does. He says, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. His delight is in the Word of God. He meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams. Check this. There's a lot of things we can meditate on day and night, right? 24-hour cable news. I don't care what you're into. MSNBC, CNN, Fox News. I don't care what it is. You can meditate on it day and night, and it's not good for your soul. It's just not. This is good for your soul. Meditate on the Word of God. Be in prayer. Um, um, Sing songs of worship with one another. Spend time with your kids. Spend time with your brothers and sisters that you enjoy. Meditating on the Word of God. That, what does he say? He says he's like a tree, what? Planted by streams of flowing water. What does that mean? That the, the life of Jesus is pouring into your pond. The good news of Jesus is the living water 
of Jesus is pouring in, filling up your pond. And if that pond is filled up with the words of Jesus, with life, then you're going to be a speaker of life. Your mouth is going to overflow with life instead of death. Do you see? I know it's hard to turn off that TV, but I'm telling you at times, like this is, it's so hard to do and yet so simple. What are we filling our pond with? If you want to be a person who speaks life, you have to be connected to the speaker of life. You have to be connected to the one who spoke life into existence. You are not going to be, in the moment, just be able to spontaneously produce life. It has to come out of a deep well in your soul. So mind your soul. And my last point is this. So watch your mouth, mind your soul. Last point is this. And start holy fires. That might seem weird. <laughs> we just talked about don't start fires. Now we're talking about starting fires. Well, what do I mean? Well, well, James makes this observation about the nature of the tongue. He says it is a fire. Um, he really doesn't give us any hope that it can be extinguished. He says it's actually like it, it's unruly. It's going to do what it does. It, 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 it's, it's restless. It's going to produce fire. And so what if, what if the goal is not to simply shut your mouth? Um, I do like propaganda's uh, uh, his, his advice, he says, um, it's better to shut your mouth if you don't know what you're talking about uh, than to open your mouth and prove to everybody what they already know is true. Uh, that's good advice. If you don't know what you're talking about, it's okay to shut your mouth. But we can't, right? You can't just stop talking. Like, we're going to continue to set fires, right? So what if we, instead of shutting our mouth, what if we could change the nature of the fire? What if you... What if, you, what if instead of starting fires that destroy, you could start fires that create life? What's very interesting to me is that when the Holy Spirit descends on the uh, disciples at Pentecost, He comes in what? Anyone know? Tongues of fire. Crazy, huh? Tongues of fire descend on the apostles at that time and it changes the nature of the fire with which their tongue can start. They begin to start fires with their tongue, do they not? They begin to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. They begin to share their life with people. And it starts a fire that, that, that uh, runs rampant across the whole world. We talked about it today. From Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, the children talked about it today. That that is very possible. We can change the nature of the fire in our tongue. When we fill our souls with the Word of God, when we fill our souls with prayer, when we fill our souls with the Word of God, a meditation on the Word of God, we now have filled up that well, and now what's going to spill out of our mouth is life in power. And that can start fire. That, those are fires that can set the course of someone's life on fire. But for Jesus, instead of destruction, amen? I know it's tough. I know it's hard. Um, because we're in this world where it seems like nobody else is playing by those rules. I get so frustrated. I'm like, I'm not supposed to speak ill of you, but you're speaking ill of me, and the only way I'm going to win this argument is if I come to your level, right? I feel like I'm at a disadvantage. Just let me remind you, you're never at a disadvantage if your identity is secure in Jesus. That we don't have to play by those rules because we are children of the King. So we don't have to, we don't have to sink to that level. We don't, have to, we don't even have to win the argument. What's amazing about 
having your, having your pond filled with living water is that now sometimes I don't even have to speak. I can actually listen. I can empathize. I can be slow to speak, quick to listen, right? And when I do speak, I can speak life. It's never a disadvantage. I mean, even having the power to hold the tongue. We have the power to speak life because we are connected to the giver of life. And that's our goal. So my, my encouragement, one, just a reminder, watch your mouth. Observe it. See what's going on. Talk to people. Watch your mouth. Mind your soul. Make sure what you're putting in is what you want to come out. Whatever you put in, it's going to come out. Meditate on all things that are good, holy, wonderful about our Lord and Savior. Let that be what flows out. And then though you cannot tame your tongue, rest assured that, that through the Holy Spirit, we can um, begin to move from starting fires that destroy to far, start fires that bring life. My question for us this morning is the question I'll be asking myself and my children this afternoon. What kind of fires are you going to set this week? Amen? Well, every week as we close our service, we, um, we share in communion. And what's beautiful about communion is that um, the ability to do this comes directly from the fact that men and women over the last 2,000 years have been starting holy fires. They've been sharing their life and the, and the good news of Jesus Christ with people around them so that we would hear it. And so we come today to celebrate that we are part of that church. And when we take the bread, um, the bread is broken as a symbol of, of Jesus paying those debts for our mouth, right? That, that he, he paid the debt for our sin and we take the, the wine, which is a symbol of, of Jesus' blood that washes us clean of sin. It washes our mouth. Instead of washing your mouth out with soap, we wash our mouth out with the blood of Jesus. Amen? And so today as we, as we partake of communion, think of those things. Be grateful for what Christ has done. Be thankful for what your brothers and sisters have done that have come before you. Um, and as always, I'm supposed to remind you, the wine is marked by twine. There's also juice. And this is a new space, so you'll figure out how to find it. Amen? All right, let me pray.